Good people, it's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at C Says C E A S E S A Y S. What's good, people? Please do follow, like, subscribe, repost, retweet, all of that good shit. Um, really, uh, just just want to say um, it's been an interesting, interesting week or so. Now the result against City, I think completely knocked the wind out of the sails of a lot of fans and once you go through a certain period of time without a game you're kind of just left with the residual feeling of the previous game and so the 4-1 loss to City isn't a game that you really want to sit on for too long and yet because of the delays of this fixture um, that have come about we've had to sit on this result a few days longer than probably ideal now on the one hand the players have a bit more time to prepare for the game and given the need to turn things around, you know, maybe they need it. Equally, there's less time to prepare for the Newcastle game coming up, which is going to be a massive one given the form that Newcastle are in going into that game. And if there is um, one team who are uniquely placed to exploit our recent shortcomings, it is Newcastle. Their side is almost quite literally built for the job given their particular characteristics. But um, before we get to that, we've got to deal with the job at hand. But before we before we deal with the job at hand, I feel it's important that we take a moment once again to laugh at Spurs. Now, there's one thing you can absolutely guarantee. Spurs are always going to be on hand to lift your spirits when you're in a bad place. I mean, going 3-0 down inside 20 minutes, was it? Um, hilarious. Genuinely hilarious. To then go and you know, fight back to make it 3-3 only to concede seconds later while fans are still celebrating the third goal to go and concede to then lose 4-3. Embarrassing. Just embarrassing. Totally within character, but just terrible. Anyone who supports that club or plays for that club should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed of themselves. They know better. And if they know better, they should do better, but they don't, so they won't. Now, look, our banter era was more successful than their golden generation. Now, don't get me wrong. They are not the standard. It's just always funny to laugh at them. So in any case, back to the topic. After a rough week, um, we've had to wait a while for this game. So... Now we've had to sort of, now we've seen the game pushed back because of the policing situation surrounding the coronation and, um, you know, not that fans got much notice, to be honest, that this was happening, but um, I digress. Now that the game is finally happening and it's it's nearly upon us, it's time to take a look at this impending fixture, which is massive for both clubs in their own way. It is, of course, Arsenal against Chelsea. And we have a chance to kickstart our season by beating a Chelsea side who are having a hellish season to forget themselves. Now, look, City played against Fulham on the weekend and won. 
Haaland scoring his 50th goal of the season and continuing his utter domination of the Premier League. Um, Julian Alvarez scoring a stunner to to, to give him the win, um, which means they go top with a game in hand. Now, their game in hand is against West Ham, which is coming up soon. Um, their second game in hand is against Brighton, which I think is their penultimate game of the season before they play Brentford. So it'll be a little while yet before they fully rack up the points from that. Um, so they've now only got the one game in hand until we play on, on Tuesday. But they've gone top, and it, it looks like the kind of situation now where the only thing that's going to happen is either they stay there or they extend their lead there. Um, it will take something very, very... It will take a very unique set of circumstances to see them slip away now. And I know people have spoken about the amount of games they have, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but look, the FA Cup final isn't until after the season's done. The Champions League, you know, win or lose it, it's never really stopped them... Um, dominating the league the league is the one thing that they haven't let slip if anything it would be the champions league that they let slip or the fa cup um so there's nothing to suggest their league form is going anywhere anytime soon so we just have to accept that that's the reality of it as we said already and have spoken to death about it you know the better team won uh, midweek that's done the season's not over the players can't play like the season's over so they've still got to go out there and win every game and try to try to win the premier league while it's still possible um but for us fans, I think a lot of us kind of think, yep, yeah, that that's pretty much where it where it ends. But you know, stranger things have happened in this league. You know, you've seen leagues decided by goal difference, by one point, by two points. So, you know, you keep going until um un, un, until the thing's done. So for us to do that, of course, we have to start picking up points. We have zero wins in four games and Again, one of those trademark um, Arteta runs of um, not winning games has hampered our title chances, but equally it's his players, his form, his um, his systems, his style, his approach that has got us to this position in the first place. And I do think that as fans, we shouldn't lose sight of as disappointed as we are is the way things see, in the way things seems to have gone. We're only here because of this current crop of players you know, managers, coaching staff, you know, executive structure, they have all pushed and worked hard over the last few years to get us to this point. So we can't lose sight of the reason that this this matters. You know, previous seasons gone by, we were in the hunt for nothing, you know. So the reason you feel this more is because we're suddenly in a position where we're playing for something and these boys are responsible for that. So to give us a chance of still being able to deliver that thing that we really want, we gotta beat Chelsea. We gotta we got we gotta stop the rot. Now look, they are now twelfth. They've they're about ten points away from the relegation show uh, relegation zone, and a late but improbable run from Leicester could see Chelsea drawn into trouble at the bottom of the table. Now I don't think that's gonna happen as much as it would delight me to see it, but it's just humorous to think that it's even possible. Um we have a chance, of course, to to help them on their way. Um by winning three consecutive games against Chelsea for the first time since 2004. Now, you can't talk about Chelsea without talking about Todd Bowley and just, you know, the Brewster's millions that this guy has spent running Chelsea into the ground. Um, now, I know he has previous experience with other sports franchises. Um, I don't know if someone explained to him that football is not baseball and you don't need a baseball-sized squad for a football team, but clearly... Um, 
he decided to go about things his own way. Now, it could be that some of those Chelsea players will turn into absolute gems. But we know the, the, the averages on transfers, right? If you buy five players, two will turn out great. One will be all right and two will be a bit of a dud. With the amount of players he's bought, you have to assume some of them will come good. The problem is the length of contract they go on, they're on, means if they're not if they're not good, if they don't come good, if they're bad, if they're duds, you are overpaying for very mediocre players for a long period of time. And in football, that is a killer. All too well we know. Now they will be, you know, getting rid of a lot of players in the summer, no doubt. But we also know how hard it is to shift underperforming players when your club is in a bad way. People do not want to pay the prices that you need to let those players go. And those players do not want to move to clubs where they're going to be taking a lower wage, which often means a lot of these players just sit on their contracts waiting to run them down. So some of these players may be motivated to move because they want game time. But there'll be some players who, while they might be motivated to move, they're only really going to want to do so to a club that they feel will offer them what they want in a sporting project and financially. So when you think of it that way, the amount of people who need to reach an agreement for a transfer to happen, you know, you need the player, the player's agent, you need the other club and the selling club. It's a lot of moving parts. And they have a lot of players they need to sell to stay on the right side of financial fair play. So while players like, you'd imagine like Ziyech and Pulisic and, you know, um, Mason Mount probably given he's not signed a new contract. While you imagine those transfers will go through, there may well be other players, you know, your Loftus Cheeks, for example, who, you know, feel very, very, um, you know, may not be inclined to leave given the amount of money he's on. He's on over 100 grand a week. Why would he leave Chelsea to go where? To earn, you know, 25 grand a week at Everton. Why would he do that? Um, someone like Conor Gallagher. Uh, teams like Everton and Palace interested in him. As much as he had a great time on loan at Palace last season, would he really leave Chelsea to go there now? Probably not. Not unless someone at a top team was offering him big money. Otherwise, he'd probably just stay and try his luck. So it it remains to be seen how many of these players are actually motivated to leave and how many might stay. I think Chelsea will find it harder getting rid of some of these players than they might think. Now, obviously, if given a new owner and the consortium's money, they don't really care how much they get for these players, then yeah, they might be able to lose lose money on a lot of them, but just get them out the door. But if they're trying to balance the books in any way and need to maximise profits, you know, the European market doesn't have the money it used to have. You're having to sell to other Premier League teams, which means you're making your competitors better. Um, the Premier League is the only league that really has the money to pay for some of these players that you want. And some of these players may not want to go to the Premier League teams that are interested in them. So it remains to be seen how the club get around this one. Um, suspect we're going to see some players either pay to leave or, you know, Chelsea sending some on loan or supplementing uh, wages to get them off the get them off the book so we'll see but that's Chelsea's problem but the context is important because the way they've gone about um, building their squad under the new ownership has led to the turmoil on and off the pitch we've all heard the stories about players having to get changed in the corridor you know 11 v 11 9 v 9 11 v 11 happening at the same time because they've just got too many players you know when we had something like 27 or 28 players in our squad it caused mayhem we had leaks in the dressing room players were unhappy form just you know, collapsed into the toilet. And that's what we had, like, 28. They've got over 30. So, you know, they're in a bad way. And you would think, therefore, that that, you know, creates the perfect conditions to go into this game for us to play them to turn our fortunes around. But I suspect that both teams will be looking at this game as a game where both teams can turn their fortune around. For us, we're looking at a Chelsea in disarray. Sure, 
we got rolled over by the billions back city juggernaut that just you know went straight past us like we weren't even there but we've won four of our last five games against chelsea as many as our previous 26 games against them previously where we drew six and lost 13. um now that being said chelsea won this fixture last season 2-0 you remember the game where lukaku basically just stole pablo marie's soul Afterwards, he basically just stunk up the joint before they shipped him off back to Inter. So Chelsea have their problems, but they've got a win in the past here. We have our problems and we've beaten them at their ground this season. For for us, it's not just that Chelsea are in disarray just because of all the reasons you know we've spoken about. It's also the fact that on the pitch, they can't buy a goal right now. They are in bad shape in terms of scoring. They're ponderous. They're slow in build-up. Their players don't really know what they're doing. They're underperforming XG. And their interim manager is one Frank Lampard, who, if I am correct, is one loss away from losing 20 Premier League games in a single season for two different clubs. I'm on record as saying, as much as he is a Chelsea legend and everything else, he wasn't my cup of tea as a player anyway, but as much as he's a Chelsea legend, he's just never someone I've ever rated as a manager. Did well for Derby, absolutely, 100%. And... I think much like players, managers find their level. I think championship is his level. And that's not a bad level. He might feel like it's a bad level because he's the legendary Frank Lampard and should be at a legendary. You find your level. In the game, you know, he he was a legend for them. But in, in management, he has shown himself to be, at best, mediocre, at worst, out of his depth, inept, and unable to deliver at the highest level. That's just, that's not me. That's the numbers. Look at the numbers. It's not me. It's the numbers. So when they went to him as the interim appointment after getting rid of um, Graham Potter, I, for one, was delighted because in my personal opinion, in my personal, personal opinion, at this level, he is trash. So more power to him, you know, give him the rest of the season. If you, if you sat Graham Potter after buying a raft of players, overloading his dressing room, destabilizing it and expecting him to fix it, to then hire Frank Lampard, as far as I'm concerned, you deserve what you get. In the game, Potter is spoken of remarkably well to people in football. They talk about him remarkably well. Um, now, I wouldn't want him as manager personally, um, but that's more to do with styles and system than him as a person. Um, and it's teams that we've seen in the Premier League, both Brighton and Chelsea, tend to underperform XG to a point that is... Um, almost comical at times but he is definitely a good manager so to get rid of him despite the fact you brought him in to build a project to get rid of him to bring in Frank Lampard who you had previously well not this ownership but the club had previously fired for underperforming to hire the manager that they got rid of to hire Potter who was then fired and replaced by the guy that they fired to, you get what I mean, right? This is insanity. So for me, I look at it and I say, we have a Chelsea team managed by a manager who's not very good, who are in poor form, who can't buy a goal, whose football is ponderous, who can't play through or play wide, who are underperforming XG. If you are Arsenal in a bad way, this is the game you want. They're a London rival. They're a team you hate. And it is a fantastic way to get the players up, to get the fans up, to return that good feeling back to the side before you go to Newcastle and play an incredibly difficult game. However, for Chelsea, 
they are looking at a team who concedes an exceptional amount of chances, an exceptional amount of high XG chances too. They're looking at an Arsenal side who are letting teams transition on them at will, just straight breaks through the middle of the pitch. They're looking at a team who hasn't won in four games. And while we are a team who score a lot of goals, we're a team who concede a lot of goals as well. So for Chelsea, they're thinking to themselves, we're a team who underperforms XG. They're a team who concede a bucket load of chances, high XG chances and a bucket load of goals. Well, they're a London rival. They were top of the league. Um, You know, we have a chance to make it five games without a win, put an even further dent in any hopes they have that are remaining of winning a title. For them, we, as I've said before, you know, even before the drop in, the dropping points in recent weeks. We have been the scalp this season. We have been, it's not Man City. Man City have been able to coast under the radar without any of the pressure that they felt in recent recent years competing against Liverpool. They've just been able to coast. All the attention and focus has been on us because we were the surprise package of the season. We have been the scalp that everybody wants. So for Chelsea, their fans are fuming. They can't wait for the season to end. This is the perfect game for them to get a nice little laugh, a little chuckle to return some good feeling back to the club and give Frank Lampard a win that he definitely needs and the club definitely need. So as much as it's the perfect game for us, it's also the perfect game for them. Um, so we're going to have to see who who does what with that. Now, one of the reasons that I'm... I can't say I'm nervous about this game because Chelsea are bad. And so my feeling is if you lose to this Chelsea side, I, I got nothing for you because they're they're very, very bad right now. Um, but if there's anything, anything at all, that would make me remotely nervous before this game, it's the fact that our defence is in trouble. Our defence is in trouble, and it has been for some time. Um, only Southampton have kept fewer clean sheets than us. Wednesday's loss, uh, City made it seven in a row where we've both scored and conceded, except... We've conceded 11 goals in our last four games, which is disturbing for a team that was so good defensively pre-World Cup. Newcastle were the only team who have stopped us scoring at the Emirates, but the last team we managed to shut out was at the Emirates was Everton when we beat them 4-0, and that was all the way on March 1st. We're now in May. We're now in May? I think we're now in May. We're now officially in May. And before that, it was Newcastle on January 3rd. So other than, you know, Everton two months ago and Newcastle at the start of the year, every team who's come to the Emirates has scored. Not great. Um, so what this tells us is that teams are coming to the Emirates and they're looking to score goals. Which is, as I said before, kind of hilarious given we're playing Chelsea, you can't buy one. So other than a Conor Gallagher deflected shot against Brighton, Chelsea haven't scored a goal since Everton on the 18th of March. And they haven't scored an away goal since their last victory under Graham Potter, which was a 3-1 win away against Leicester. So bar a fluky deflection, their most recent success in front of goal came against relegation-threatened Everton nearly two months ago and an even more relegation-threatened Leicester just before that. So that tells you how bad things are going for them. Um... So as I said, you'd think this would be the perfect opportunity to regain some stability. Now, part of the difficulty is twofold for me. Number one, in the last four games where we've dropped points, 
we've done it for different reasons in each game. You know, one was a case of Liverpool remembering they're a good football team who could play football and turning it on, winning the second half, and we leave Anfield with what is a good point, but still, you know, not great considering you started the game 2-0 up. The second was, um, you know, drop points against West Ham where complacency set in. We were starting to feel ourselves a bit too much, started popping it around like we were kicking about with the mates on on, on Hackney Marshes. And yeah, we got done once um, West Ham realised we were there for the taking. Three, Southampton, nerves. I'm, I'm going to call it nerves. I'm not going to call it, you know, I'm not going to say it was fear, but certainly some nerves came into our play. And yeah, that was that. And obviously City, we just got absolutely battered after having our confidence knocked in the previous three weeks. So it was all for different reasons, um, which is troubling because if if you're conceding goals and chances for one specific reason, you know, if you're dropping points for one reason, you can fix that one thing. If you're dropping points in multiple games for different reasons, that sometimes points to a bigger problem, which brings me to the second reason that I'm slightly concerned, which is that our defensive record, our defensive problem didn't just start when Saliba got injured and Holding came in. It started post-World Cup. In fact, arguably, you could say that we've been given up a lot of chances that we ordinarily give up. We've been getting up a lot of chances, um, which ordinarily, sorry, we would be um, defending due to our the ability of our individuals on the pitch. So, for example, those direct runs, previously Saliba and Gabriel were cleaning them up. Previously, Party was screening the back four, so those chances weren't getting through. These things aren't happening anymore, so these chances, which ordinarily we were at risk of giving up, we're now giving them up and teams are now taking them. So that for me is part of a bigger trend and a more worrying trend. So, for example, against Man City, we gave up six direct attacks, the most we've conceded in um, in the Premier League all season. The fact is, though, our susceptibility to quick direct attacks through the centre of the pitch has been increasing steadily all season. So you, of course, remember Rashford's goal for United, we said the party was out, Lokonga was in and didn't cover the passing lane, so that was a one-off. There was the draw against Southampton earlier in the season at St Mary's. Um, that was around October 23rd. Um, you know, their goal came from a pass up to the striker. Then there was Villa in February. You remember Ollie Watkins running Saliba back towards goal before firing it in. Bournemouth didn't nearly did something similar um, in, in the game where we won dramatically against them. You remember that fantastic save by Ramsdale when both Solanke and Billing were up, up the um, other end of the pitch, I think, or was it? Or was it Solanke and Otara? I can't remember. Um, West Ham, of course, didn't really do much to threaten us, but they did get a lot of success springing counters, sprinting um, sprinting down on us. You remember particularly Mikhail Antonio running um, into the channels. In fact, the game turned um, after Antonio's first successful run at Holding, taking into channel where Holding gave away the free kick on the edge of the penalty area. If you go back, the game turned from that moment. We weren't on top from, from then onwards. One of the benefits of our system that we've been playing all season, the positional play, the sort of two, three, five, or two, three, three, two, depending on how you want to um, call it. One of the benefits of our system is that it allows us to overload the, you know, five attacking lanes and create combinations that can break stubborn defenses down. Um, the problem is, however, it kind of leaves for potentially large spaces centrally, and if we don't counter press effectively. Um, we're in problems, but it also leaves oceans of space in the defensive half spaces as well. So if teams counter on us, and if they can get runners centrally and wide, they can stretch the defence trying to cover both the wide spaces and the central spaces, and we're in trouble. 
So previously, you know, Saliba and Gabriel, they had the speed and the athleticism to defend those large spaces themselves. But with Saliba gone, Holding is definitely far less equipped to do that. Even more than that, Partey and Shaka have both been off the ball in recent weeks, meaning that, you know, we're getting, we're having less joy sort of winning the ball back in the middle of the pitch and a lot less joy screening the defensive line and winning balls back to keep that pressure up. Particularly Partey, who has been um, spectacularly poor in recent weeks, I think it's safe to say. So then this all begs the question for Arteta ahead of Chelsea, stick or twist. Um, Against City, I'm, I'm going to be honest and say I thought a change then wouldn't be right because of how good City are how versatile their players are and how quickly they can adapt to a change in system. So we've seen how good they are at playing multiple different types of football, multiple systems, and how quickly their players adapt to it. And even when you think you've got them, even when, you know, Guardiola tries something new, like a Bernardo Silva at left back, inverting into midfield, they mostly get away with it because they're just so good everywhere else on the pitch. Um, You know, barring the drop points at Nottingham Forest, they really weren't punished for all of their experimenting throughout the throughout the season um so it would mean that we'd be going into that match doing something that we're somewhat unfamiliar with while their adaptability would mean that they'd get to grips with our changes so suddenly they would be you know adapting to our change and playing the football they can play and we'd still be getting to grips with something new that we've tried to spring on them or have to go back to what we did before with them having adapted to our other game plan so for me it was just a case that i thought we weren't doing I thought for me the issue was we weren't playing our football well, so let's go to let's go back to playing our football well. See if we can get them to play our football well. But in saying that, I thought we'd see stones in midfield because we'd been in a bad way, dropped points three games in a row. So I thought City would just come in, do what they do, and yeah, try and beat us because we've been in a bad shape. I certainly didn't expect them to play four right-sided um, defenders with Walker coming back into the side. Didn't see that coming. Um, and it just meant that they had an extra player back to help evade our press and they could go long to Haaland and De Bruyne playing in sort of a two split striker mode, sometimes with De Bruyne just behind Haaland. And yeah, um, it also meant that they could press us, but leave the ball to holding knowing he wasn't going to be able to play through us, uh, play through him. So arguably, if not before the game, given how things turned out, Captain Hindsight and all that, if not before the game, then at least during the game, we probably should have changed it to a double pivot, moving Shaka next to party to provide that protection. However, Chelsea are not Manchester City. So does Arteta trust the team to get it done in the way that we've got it done all season, including against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge? Or does or does he think something else is needed? This is especially because of the difficulties in the way um, Chelsea play, in the way that they try to build up and pack the midfield and, funny enough, go into their own version of um, positional play with their wing-backs pushing into wide areas. But given the um, the injuries they've got to the likes of Reese James and possibly Kukurea, that might impact their ability to, to play wing-backs. So, you know, it's a question of whether Chelsea are going to do their 3-4-3, 3-5-2, or whether they're going to go back and try the four-two-three-one. It's, it's. I think personally they're going to do what they've been doing, but it, it's an interesting question nonetheless. With Chelsea, we've seen them do a few things this season when it comes to their style of play. So, so mostly, you know, they play with win backs um, in their side. 
we're talking usually some kind of variation of a 3-4-3 because their players suit that system, especially, as I said, their win-backs. Now, some of their players don't fit, but that didn't stop Chelsea buying them for unknown reasons, like a certain winger who shall not be named and is playing as an inside forward, despite the fact he's clearly a winger. <clears throat> the trick. <clears throat> In attack, their 3-4-3 ends up looking like sort of 3-2-5 with their wing-backs, as I said, um, providing the width um, and their three attackers sort of playing as inside forwards inside those defensive lines. Defensively, most teams get success by just locking down the centre of the pitch. That's, that's the best thing to do against Chelsea. Lock down the centre of the pitch, forces um, Chelsea wide, you double up on their wide players, they can't get out. Best case scenario, you're getting a turnover in wide areas, which you can transition on them, or you're forcing them to put crosses into the box. And let's face it, Mudrick, Sterling and Havertz aren't exactly Erlen Haaland in the six-yard box. Now, they could play sometimes, and it's something they've done um, recently, they could play one of them more sort of ball possession, uh, comfortable defenders as part of the defensive three. So they did this, for example, with Kukurea. I remember seeing Kukurea in their back three and laughing when I saw it because of the idea of Kukurea being in a back three and not at wing back, but literally in a back three. But the reason they're doing that is that player would um, step into midfield and it would become sort of a 2-3-5, providing more support in midfield, you know, another outlet to be able to play um, play through if a team has blocked the centre of the pitch and also means that they can just generally support the attack. Um, the problem is, of course, the majority of Chelsea's centre midfielders, you know, they don't have those Ozil-style penetrative passes, you know, upfield through the middle. It's just not their place. You know, Kovacic is more about movement and possession. Kante is better on the ball than he gets credit for, but he's a runner. Gallagher's industrious, but he's not exactly a mercurial talent on the ball. Um, Enzo is more of a QB style deep line playmaker. And the way he's used is more to kind of switch the ball side to side to, you know, help Chelsea maintain possession of the ball and move teams around. So, you know, and also if he plays a penetrative pass based on where he is if the ball gets cut out you're transitioning them straight through the middle where there's only two defenders behind them in that particular system so he's not really going to do that not unless he is absolutely sure he can make the pass not unless he wants to basically just give the opposition a free run at goal um so one other option you know chelsea have in that situation is to play sterling for example as one of the forward three he's someone who likes to run in behind and if sterling is running in behind it means they can make penetrative runs. So, you know, they can get Unzo, for example, to play a ball over the top. And if Sterling times his run, he's through on goal and has a shot. And we've seen that a few times with Sterling, with Mudrick, but they've been missing their chances. Common theme amongst Chelsea, um, missing chances. It's what they've been doing. So Lampard, for example, he went to a 3-5-2 um, in recent games. He did that against Real Madrid, for example. Um, and that's just allowing the other team to have the ball. And you allow the other teams to have the ball, they push up on you, and then you can break on them in space in behind. And they did that, and they got chances in behind, and they missed them. Again, see the common theme with Chelsea? Missing chances. Now, one of the things that makes me a bit nervous about this is if Lampard went through a 3-5-2, we push up on them and leave space in behind. The way we've been allowing transitions on us, the way we've been allowing direct running on us, that would be a bad look, even for a Chelsea side who miss more chances than they should. That would be a bad look for us because it's the exact type of thing. It's the exact type of chances we'd be giving up and that system would 
essentially have us play right into their hands if we carry on doing what we're doing. So what do we do? Well, as I said, you know, their system, the way they play, particularly recently with Lampard doing the 3-5-2, kind of screams out for us to do a double pivot, specifically because it stabilizes them out midfield, blocks central spaces, um, makes it difficult for them to attack, and makes it far less likely for them to succeed if they try to break on us in with some direct running in space in behind because we've got that extra player back. So their system would scream for a three, you know, for us to play a double pivot. Um, so you're looking at a Shaka party double pivot or a party Jorginho double pivot. Maybe the latter would be better in its sort of more defensive setup. Um, we can then win the ball wide, push, force them wide, win the ball wide, and sort of transition them down the rings with Martinelli and Saka. However, you remember our first game against them at Stamford Bridge, which seems so long ago now, I can't even believe it's the same season. It genuinely feels like last season, that game. Um, you remember in that game, Arteta, tactical masterclass, brilliantly, uh, brilliantly done the way we set up, you know, um, did fantastic in that game. However, in that game, you know, while we played our, um, you know, two three five or three two five, um, Chelsea was set up in a four two three one, slightly lopsided to their attacking right, our defensive left, um, and we just played through it. And you you might remember there's one clip of us playing through the um, Chelsea press. I think it was Ben White and Saliba exchanging passes on the edge of our area, and then one sweeping pass out in space from Saliba for us to then break on Chelsea. We're not doing that this time. We're not doing that with Rob Holding and centre-back at centre-back in defence. That's not happening. So we probably want to avoid playing a style of football that sees us being heavily pressed high up the pitch, which, again, would scream for the double pivot. Um, the thing is, of course, if Chelsea go for the 3-5-2 and invite that kind of pressure, it might be the perfect chance for us to play our positional football because we'd have the ball up high up the field in their territory and be able to play through them. And this season, Chelsea have just not been great. They just haven't been. So we might want to try our chances that we can play through them, given how bad they've been. However, if the last four games are anything to go by, when we find ourselves getting transitioned on, um, we have a problem. And while Chelsea have been underperforming XG, at some point, the goals are going to have to come. And I would be fuming if we were the ones to give it to them, particularly in that way. So I'll be curious to see if Arteta trusts the team to play the way we've played all season and try to beat Chelsea at our game, or whether he thinks the last four games require a change, or more precisely, whether he thinks Chelsea's system means we should change to maximise our chances. Now, I'm convinced he probably won't change to double pivot. Um, after the City loss, he was quoted as saying, you have to be loyal to what has brought us all this way. We've done it in the past in different ways, and that doesn't guarantee you anything and I think that's you know one of the things I was saying before the City game which is you know we have played different systems in the past and we have been inconsistent you know when we used to switch from the 4-2-3-1 to the three at the back it would stabilize but our results were inconsistent um, so switching to the system we've played this season has brought a stability of results because the players can play this system and I've been doing it well and so, um, yeah, more of the same. So I'm, I, I understand what he's saying. And given that, you know, one of our biggest shortcomings in recent weeks has been our inability to execute our style, 
um, rather than the framework itself breaking down, I get why he might want to persist. Um, that being said, of course, the changes in personnel that we've seen, specifically holding and coming in for Saliba, has meant that teams have a, have a very specific way of pressing us to take advantage of the fact that that one missing cog is having a disproportionately massive impact on the stability of that system. So it's not that we can't play that system, it's just that we find it far more difficult to play that system with such an important piece of the cog missing. Now, you might think to yourself, well, you know, we're on pretty flimsy ground if you only have to take one piece out for the whole thing to collapse. You're absolutely fucking right. That's why it's a process. We're not at the stage yet where you can take a piece out and the system survives, particularly when that piece is William Saliba. You have to remember how transformational he has been. I don't think Arteta started the season thinking Saliba's going to start. You, If you heard him speak, he started the season, Ben White sent it back, saw of Saliba play and said, oh shit, he has to play and moved Ben White to right back, right? That's how good Saliba has been. It's not the case that, oh, why would Arsenal go into the season with a defensive um, structure that couldn't survive Saliba not being there? It was, oh shit, with Saliba here, we can play this style of football, which will allow us total and utter dominance. And now he's not here, we can't do that anymore. So we're in the process of building a side. And the next phase is to add more quality to the side so that when certain key pieces are missing, we can carry on playing our football. But we're not at that stage yet, which is why, you know, some people have suggested this title race has probably come one or two seasons sooner than, you know, we're ready for really. And it's looking a little like the situation has borne that out. Um, so it might be the case that Arteta's thinking to himself, if the players can regain their sharpness, Saliba or not, if the players can regain their sharpness, then we should be able to see, you know, more of the football we're used to play our way and play Chelsea off the park. Um, and plus, look, we're playing a Chelsea side that's in disarray on and off the pitch. So, it tracks, right? Then again, maybe it's a case of changing personnel and not systems. Maybe a Jesus off and Trossard on. Something I thought, you know, silly at one point a few weeks ago, but seems more and more sensible um, with every game that goes by when you see Trossard come on the pitch and show a complete amount, you know, complete composure, complete calmness, maintains his technical security, his technical ability, you know, runs at the other team, imposes himself, affects the game, affects change, only to find himself on the bench the next week. It must be a little bit galling. He must be looking and saying, my form warrants a start. Um, so I wouldn't be mad if he got a start at all. Whether he gets one, that remains to be seen. Um, does, for example, Jorginho step in for party? Again, something I never would have said a few weeks back. Um, I don't know if we'd want him starting back at Chelsea, but I think that's more to do with me and my issues than anything technical or tactical. Um the, I mean, the dominance that Partey once brought to midfield uh, has gone. And with Frank Lampard sort of still getting to grips with the situation at Chelsea and still trying to find a team with the balance to kind of, you know, well, win a game, um, now's the perfect time to try and dominate their midfield. Now's the perfect time to try and get the ball, foot on the ball and dominate the game. So is this the time to make the change to the personnel to do that? That might that is a question that Arteta is going to have to to answer. Um, the thing is, though, what one thing we have seen, and you know, like I said, this has been post World Cup, um, particularly for me. That's the period when teams started to respect us as a side and realize that actually we are dangerous. 
which is for me a big reason that changed. I think teams changed how they played against us and started to go more direct, giving us more of the ball rather than trying to compete with us. Um, but nonetheless, we've seen particularly in the last last in recent weeks how effective teams are pressing us high up the pitch and trying to transition and go directly at us rather than anything else. You know, we haven't seen as much low block football um, as we have seen teams literally just trying to get us as high up the pitch. So given teams are pressing us and going direct on us lately, um, and this seems to be nullifying our game plan, it would suggest that now is the time to change it. I'm just not sure that Arteta will. Um, and I think if he does change anything, it's probably going to be more personnel than system. But it remains to be seen. For this game coming up, all of our players need to step up. You know, against against um, Man City, Ramsdale, Saka, they did well. Everybody else, performance in the gutter. In recent weeks, you know, everyone from Partey to Shaka, um, to Gabriel even, you know, people have been off the boil. Jesus hasn't been himself um, for the last couple of games. I just, yeah, I think it's time for all of these players to step up. And as I said, if we make some changes and we see Trossard in for Martinelli or, or, or Jesus, um, if we see Jorginho in for Party or Shaka, I think, again, it's an opportunity for players to show their talent and show their worth. Um, and look, players like Smith Rowe, for example, um, got a few minutes against Man City, hasn't had that many minutes since coming back into the side, I think just 121 minutes all season. It's an opportunity for him, potentially, if he gets on the pitch at some point in the game, to do against Chelsea what he's done against Chelsea in previous seasons and potentially play himself back into contention for the rest of the season and potentially change his fortunes going into the summer because no doubt Arsenal are a club looking to evolve, looking to develop, looking to grow. And to do that, we it's not just, you know, the Champions League money is going to be great, don't get me wrong, but the Cronkies have put in money in the form of loans over recent seasons and we do not know the terms of those loans. That money is going to need to be paid back. Some of that Champions League money may not be going into the transfer market. Some of that may be going back to paying the ownership for those loans. So we may be looking to raise funds through transfers and Smith Rowe is a sellable asset. So if if he's interested in staying at Arsenal, he's going to want to try and use these last few weeks of the season to pick up his form to suggest to Arteta he should still be here next year because players like Reese Nelson are doing it, you know, putting in form and saying, I want a contract, I want to be here. Smith Rowe is going to need to do the same. Um, for Chelsea though obviously they've had N'Golo Kante back in recent weeks and while their form hasn't improved he certainly looks like a stabilising force in that midfield um, and he's someone who definitely works hard and does a lot of work for them obviously we know that Enzo Fernandez playing QB for them um, and just spraying the ball about is one of the methods within which they're either able to try and bypass a high line, high defensive line or just keep the ball and keep it moving Um and Thiago Silva defensively at the back. I mean, he's a player who our striker, Gabriel Jesus, knows well, but also vice versa. Um, fantastic centre-back, legend of the game. And, you know, he's spoken out publicly about the disarray at Chelsea and how ridiculous it's been there. He's someone who, even when Chelsea are in, are in a bad way, he's a very, very good player and someone who will be there trying to shut down, shut down chances. So for me personally, I, I look at it and I say, both of these teams are having very, 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 very different seasons, but in this very moment are both in a bad way. They're more so than us, let's be clear. You know, they they are struggling to win a game. We may be struggling to win a game, but they're, they're, they're really struggling to win a game. You know, it's it's not the same. 
you know, in, in other than bar the what city game and we still scored in that. Bagged three against Southampton, two against West Ham, two against Liverpool. You know, prior to that, we bag in three against Fulham, four against Palace, four against Leeds. Scoring goals isn't our problem. Scoring goals is their problem, right? So if that trend continues and they struggle to put away any chances they even get, but we are still taking chances, then, you know, this this very much looks like it, it works to our favour. But as I said, they are underperforming XG. They're getting chances and we've been giving up high value chances so you know you would you it would suggest that the stats are in our favor it would suggest the odds are in our favor but we need to make that all count because that's just you know that's just on paper right it's ultimately going to come down to what these players do on the pitch in this moment so yeah i i do think you know we're going to probably see the likes of kepper in goal chalaba silver probably Fafana. i think maybe chilwell fernandez kante Gallagher, Felix, Havertz, Sterling. I think they'll try and use Sterling to get in behind our, our high line if we play one, which, let's face it, I assume we will. Um, I think for us, the only, you know, it's the usual starting lineup. I think the only question is whether Trossard comes in for either Jesus or Martinelli. I'm not expecting any changes, personally. I think it'll be the same team that started the last four games, which would be a big show of faith from Arteta, I think, given how things have gone in the last few weeks. But it's what I'm expecting personally. So we'll see. Anyway, that's it from me, people. Fingers crossed we're able to get the results against Chelsea. Bring some positive feeling back to the club. I mean, we are guaranteed to be in the Champions League next season. That's a thing. It's happening. We're back to the big time. It looks like we've got some big targets in the summer that we're trying to trying to bring in to help improve the overall quality of the squad. You know, we've got some fantastic young players. You know, we've still got um, a few more contracts to be signed. Saka looks like it's progressing. Still conversations around Saliba's new contract. The future's looking bright. We just need to get that good feeling back amongst the, the club and the fans. And beating Chelsea is a surefire way of doing that. We've used a win against Chelsea to uh, turn around results in our season previously. We can do it again right now. Anyway, that's it for me, people. It's your boy Caesar. You know where to find me on the socials at C Says, C E A S E S A A S. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club. Appreciate you listening. Please do like, subscribe, follow, retweet, repost, all of that good shit. And we will speak to you after we have hopefully decimated, destroyed, brutalized, embarrassed, and just generally crushed the spirits of Chelsea Football Club on Tuesday. I think the next pod will probably be out Thursday or Friday. So keep an eye out for that. Anyway, that's it for me, people. In a bit. In a bit. Gabriel Martinelli!